listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Jeff, I'm back. You are, and better than ever. I don't know about that, but I know we're going to make a transition here for well, two things. One, we're going to hold a, a clock today. I did a pretty good job of holding the clock. On the you did a pretty good job of holding the clock, even though you claimed you weren't going to. You, you said you're going to talk for nine hours, something like that. You know that Jason voice in my head is, I don't know, it's one of the top three loudest in there bouncing around. So, Top three smartest? I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't blame you. All right. So we're going to make a little bit of a pivot. So as you know, we're we're in the midst of a series with practice leaders and simultaneously I am leading up to the annual conference that I do on thought leadership, profiting from thought leadership. And so we're going to do a little pivot from conscious leadership to conscious campaigns. Ooh. I made that up. Yeah. Isn't, is that brand appropriation? It might be brand appropriation. It's probably not trademarkable either. And if it was, I mean, like you would really want to trademark it. <laughs> probably a bad idea. Yeah. So we're going to talk about campaign strategy today. I want to talk about really thought leadership campaign strategy, which is really not all that dissimilar from from general campaign strategy, I don't think. But essentially, really just talking about if you've developed a big idea or you're working on a research study or you've got a point of view you're trying to get in the marketplace, how to go about that and what you know good campaign planning looks like and what bad campaign planning looks like and kick the tires on that a little bit together. Before we go back to a really compelling series that, that you've built, I have to give you all the credit with a bunch of wonderful practice leaders taking us through that journey. So if you're game, that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with conscious campaigns. You know, it's not conscious campaigns. It's conscious thought leadership. Conscious thought leadership. And we mean conscious, S-C-I-O-U-S, not conscience. That would be a totally different thing. I don't even know what that would be. <laughs> Sentient campaigns driven by AI. I guess that's the thing. So where do we want to start? I built an outline. I can just jump into that outline or you can you know, say, no, your outline's not where I want to start. So where do you want to start? I think we should start where all good conscious thought leadership campaigns should start with what's the issue we're dealing with. That's a great point. A couple of issues. I think the main issue we're dealing with is... A cacophony, it's a big fancy word, of noise. That's impressive for you. That's one um, of my favorite words. No, there you go. Right after prudence, right? So, yeah. Did your wife teach you that? <laughs> perhaps. There's just so much noise in the system right now, more than there's ever been. The anecdote I like to use again and again is, you know, when we got into late summer of 2020, I decided just to call every major editorial leader of every major tier one firm that I knew and just ask him how things were going just to kind of get a vibe. And I get the same answer from every single person. And I talked to a bunch of them and they all said the same thing. They're like, no, Jason, we published more in the last three months than we did in the last three years. And it was just this recurring theme again and again. And sometimes they would be saying things like, we're not super proud of everything we published, but we did publish a lot. And I don't think that that's really let up. I think it's been sort of like they've put the pedal to the metal and then they pulled it off a little bit, but they just kind of kept cruising at, a, at an accelerated pace. So there's just a lot of noise in the system for clients right now. And so I think that's answer your question. Why does this matter? It matters because if you're going to cut through the noise with a point of view, you're going to have to have a really well-conceived 
well-executed campaign strategy to do it right now, now more than ever. Especially if you're a smaller firm trying to punch above your weight or you're a smaller firm and you just, let's face it, you have less resources and less brand recognition around you as you maybe a larger firm does that has a huge halo around it. And, and those, as you say that, those larger firms could be the victim of their own production as well. Yeah. You For know, the opposite reason, right? Yeah. 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 They think they're breaking more volume helps them break through the noise in the market, but their own message gets lost because they overproduce perhaps competing thought leadership in their own right. Yeah, you actually led right into what I, I made a list of reasons campaigns fail. Why do campaigns fail? And one of them I said was firms try to do everything. They just, they do. They, they try to publish on everything. They try to publish in every format. They try to be in every place. They try to promote in every channel. As a result, they water everything down and they don't really do anything great. They just kind of do everything kind of well, or maybe not even kind of well. Maybe they only do it average. So that's one reason I see I see firms struggle to cut through the noise is you know they're they're doing too much. Other reasons I think they fail is the other end of that is they try to do one thing and one thing only. I was talking with a small firm that has some really amazing thought leadership for the pharma sector. I mean, really good, high quality stuff. Very small firm, handful of people, and he was having a hard time teeing up new sales conversations and you know, new meetings for new business. And I really peeled back the layers of the onion. I found out he had an external partner, I call him an agency, I don't really know exactly what to call this outfit. But essentially all they were doing was sending out email. That was it. That was like the whole strategy was a single tactic. <laughs> it's like, well, I can see why that's not working because it's getting harder and harder to cut through the noise in the inbox, right? So you, you have to sort of surround people more than that and you just can't, you're not going to get it done if you've only got really one avenue to the customer. And that's all they were really serving up was one avenue to the customer. And that particular avenue is a difficult one. It's more difficult than it was five years ago, 10 years ago to get someone's attention in the inbox. So it's a tough place to be. Not to mention... It's a limited audience. It's finite, right? People not, that read email? <laughs> you, well, well, you have your list of, you know, a thousand or two thousand or or whatever it is. Yeah. It's you need to be adding to that because of the attrition that exists in that. So Yeah. And it's hard to add to that these days because people don't really want more newsletters. They don't want yeah. more stuff in their inbox. Yeah. Your stuff that'd be awesome for them to say, Yeah, I want that. Yeah. You know, that's why I subscribe to to the Rattleback blog and newsletter. Because it's awesome? Because it's awesome. Thank you. Those are very kind words. <laughs> In the podcast right there. Let's call it a day. You know, once a year you give me a compliment, so I have to really savor it. All right. Other reasons campaigns fail. Uh, do you want to throw some out? I've got, as you know, I've got four or five of them, but what else do you see? I can think of a couple. One, and this is something... I'm sure you'll agree with the the campaigns think too much in terms of solution before establishing issues and costs. Mm -hmm. As you say, people fall in love with consultants fall in love with their solutions and they're they're not meeting people. And this this kind of it gets to your point about the singularity of approach. They're not meeting people where they are in the in the buyer's journey. Right. Most thought leadership campaigns are front end, demand gen, awareness building around, you know, potential issue, which is good. 
it's just not enough. Talk to me more about that. Well, and we talked about this with Maria Bolden, you know, about coming into that kill box, that sales kill box. And I believe that thought leadership needs to be repurposed as part of the campaign to enable sales to have a unique conversation, not just in in terms of the issue itself, but the way we, we talked about this with Joe Rice from C Exponent as well about how you move buyers through a complex sale and build consensus around an issue and a solution. I think campaigns need to take that into effect. And my sense is marketers leave that up to the sales expertise of their consultants or sales force instead of fully equipping them with what they need to effectively sell. Yeah. They don't enable or engage whoever sells enough. I I don't believe frequently. The thought is to your point, we're going to develop this thought leadership, this content, and then we're going to teach the salespeople how to use it. And I don't think salespeople need to be taught how to use it. Salespeople need to be engaged in the conversation around it to understand how they can apply it and apply their own professionalism and experience on, on what to do with it. But they just need to get brought into the conversation earlier in a healthier way so they can understand the value of, of what's been studied or what's been found or the point of view that's being to put to test. I have two more. And okay. You, you know why I have... Because you, <laughs> you want a I, round odd number? No, no, because I've failed at, at this so often that I know of which I speak. <laughs> yeah. I, I think another reason that campaigns fail is firms underinvest in them. They don't spend enough money to promote them, but even more so, they don't spend enough time on them. Yeah. They run a campaign, they think the world has heard it, they're tired of hearing it, and they want to move on. And in my experience, just as the firm is tired of hearing the message, that marketing is putting out and ready to change it is when it's finally starting to resonate with the market. So firms need that discipline of staying the course. Yeah. I really like that, that time component. Yeah. I come back to eat more chicken, right? Mm -hmm. How long has Chick-fil-A been running? Eat more chicken. It's just like fundamentals of advertising. This isn't really all that different. You're trying to cut through the noise and get memorability around an issue you want to own and your point of view on that issue. And if you are changing that that message every six months, it's never gonna it's never gonna stick. You know that's a great segue into my third one. And okay, and, uh, it did, did of, you save a wait a minute? But there was a second one already. Yeah. All right, keep going. Doesn't matter. I yeah. get confused. So so the third one it builds on what you just said. It kind of contradicts the potential title of of this episode, but firms that that think in terms of campaigns, I think are doing it the wrong way. Firms should shift their thinking and not think in terms of campaigns, but to think more broadly. Chick-fil-A is an excellent example. They need to think more broadly about the issues they're trying to own, the expertise they want to be known for, and the results that they deliver. And I understand the practicality of calling something a campaign because you need something finite to manage. But that type of thinking, I think, is small thinking compared to the broader firm positioning 
that this thought leadership should be reinforcing in a more holistic way. It's nuanced, but I think the best firms get that these campaigns aren't just bricks in a wall. They are cornerstones, if you will, in the building. And that's a big difference. Yeah, it's a valid comment. I, I, you know, and it comes back to to your point. It's a little bit about mindset, but but campaigns fail when you know you think of them as discrete campaigns to be run, executed, and then moved on. And you know that notion of falling in love with the problem that actually came out of our 2018 conference with a woman named Jeannie Thompson, who was heading up thought leadership at Fidelity at the time, and she had applied design thinking to the problem of how do you cut through the noise with thought leadership. And she discovered this idea that you fall in love with the problem that you want to own and you're relentless about trying to find better solutions to it now and forever. And I think that's the essence of what you're saying is that the campaign is a construct towards that end, but it's just a, it's a, it's a building block towards that end. And, you're, and you did the recognition that you're, you're, you're sort of on a ceaseless journey to find a better way is what it's really about. And so you own the issue. And the campaign is a function of, of your, your latest view on how to solve that issue. And you're going to iterate that over time through other campaigns, other research, other points of view as the world changes and you evolve, right? So yeah. I, I like the way you, you, you talked about that, Jason, and then we can pivot. It, it's worth spending the time that we've spent on this because defining the issue that you're solving is critical to coming up with the right yes. solution to produce the outcome that you want. I've been in so many firms and have worked with so many firms that are solving the wrong problem. They want to get to real business impact, but they're thinking about it in the wrong way. So maybe we beat this up a little too much, but we beat it up for a good reason. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Well, that's a perfect segue because I agree with you. And what I want to talk about next is the right way to set goals for a campaign in the wrong way. And this hit me in the face a lot in prepping for a session I'm running here at the conference this year around campaign strategy. And what jumped out to me was how many marketers and editorial leaders, I think, just think about planning incorrectly because they look at their goals sort of, I'll just say, upside down. And the way I describe this is they start with tactics and hope for outcomes, right? <laughs> so they'll say, we're going to do all this stuff, and we hope that we'll get some vague thing. That vague thing is usually, well, we're going to build more brand awareness, or we're going to get more followers, or get more leads, or generate downloads. It's like this conceptual thing, but they don't put a number on that because if, even if they did put a number on it, it's grounded in the wrong place. It's grounded in, well, the tactic we're going to use is this. Now, how many downloads do you think we can get from that? I don't know, 100? They just throw a number on the wall, right? So that's not a good way of setting a goal, right? And But that's how goals happen all the time. So I have a whole sequence around that, but just this idea that I think that when marketers frequently think about campaign planning, 
they're just they're, they're starting from their mindset in marketing of the things that they can do to drive demand and interest on something, and that's the wrong way to look at it. Agree, disagree, kick the tires, tell me I'm wrong. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. I am I am without speech. I can say no more on that. <laughs> that's a rare moment to take it in. Silence. Okay, listeners, I'll be right back in five seconds. Just kidding. All right. So I think the other layer of that of where campaign planning falls down or in goal setting anyway, is they're just not specific enough. So there's not, and this sometimes falls on practice leaders and firm leaders as well, because you know this, you've, you've never done this, I'm sure. But as a marketer, I've bumped into this again and again with firms where I'll say to them, I'll say, well, okay, well, how many more leads do you need? And they'll say, oh, I just need more. I'm like, well, that's not an answer. Like, you know, like I can give you more. Let's go spend $5 million and you'll get plenty more. Would that be enough? You know, I don't know. So they have to be more specific. And so the thing that I always challenge people is say, let's be specific about what we really need. What do we really want for this business? And what do we need to get what we want for this business? And so that's what good goals look like, you know? So good goals start at the other end, I think. They start with desired outcomes. So you start with the outcomes you're trying to deliver on a specific time horizon. And then you work back into the tactics and the investments that it's going to take to get there. It's kind of like you and I have talked about with budgeting. It's no different. You build a budget by looking at the desired outcomes and then threading that back to you know, what that's going to create for the business. And the budget is a derivative of that. And then the budget, to some extent, is a gauge in risk. It's you know how much risk are we willing to accept on our likelihood of getting to that outcome. A lower budget means a higher level of risk of us not getting there. A bigger budget usually implies a lower level of risk on getting there, right? So it's it's sort of a conceptual idea. But anyway, that's what I think good goals look like. They start with desired outcomes. You start with what is the business objective we're trying to meet here? What is the revenue target? And what is that? And then you break that down a little bit at a time. How many clients is that? How many client engagements is that? And you back your way into the tactics you need to do to get there. This seems like marketing 101, but you'd be surprised the number of firms that don't think like this. I believe they don't think like this because they overweight building brand awareness. And this is this is kind of the point I was trying to make with firms need to think along the entire buyer's journey. I ran into this so often as a consultant that I created a little tool. I'll put a link in the show notes for this to what I call pipeline contribution tool, which is really just, you know, sales funnel analysis looking at how many leads does it take to hit that number. And I purposely broke it down across, you know, every stage of the buying cycle because sales and marketing need to be optimizing each one of those conversion points. And when you have a tool like that and you're managing to that, particularly if sales and marketing have some kind of service level agreement where they're collaborating on the number of marketing qualified leads or sales accepted leads, what have you. And if you're not doing that, you should be doing that and working together to optimize those conversion rates. And when you have great thought leadership, I think repurposing it along that continuum is kind of the holy grail for it. Yeah. I mean, it's very well said. I agree with you. It is marketing 101. And the question is also like, why does it happen this way then again and again and again? 
maybe it's inertia? Part of it is inertia. Part of it is historical. Part of it, and it may be a, a large part of it, is measurability. You know, attribution is hard, right? Yeah. First touch, last touch, you know, given the complexity of the buying cycle, how do you know how this impacted? It's hard to get a quantifiable metric associated with it, but you have to jump in, you have to start, right? You know, it's funny. As you know, I'm a bit of a cynic around attribution. I think it's kind of a ridiculous concept, you know, because if, because how do you divorce two tactics, right? So how do you say, well, super simplistic model, What's we're going to run a campaign, we're going to use email and Google ads, and that's it. And so, okay, well, will email by itself work well? I just told you it won't. Will Google ads by itself work well? Probably not. Will they both work better together? Of course. Anyway, I was talking with a firm that is one of Google's 10 elite resellers, you know, so like a top, top ads partner, right? That drives all performance-based advertising for big direct-to-consumer brands. And he basically just told me, he's like, hey, he's like, the reality is, is all these big direct-to-consumer brands are addicted to performance-based advertising and they need to stop and spend a little more money on like brand advertising. He's like, because they think that they've got this all figured out and they've got everything measured. He's like, they're wrong. He's like, he's like you, you, you cannot measure this as well as they think they can. And they're undervaluing the halo effect of good brand advertising. This is direct to consumer stuff, but it's this sort of the same thing here to your point is that, you know, they over obsess about, about attribution when I always just come back to, it's like, what are you directionally trying to do? You're trying to get some more people to buy some more stuff. It's that simple. And that whatever you want to wrap around that to get, help that happen is what marketing is about. And don't worry too much about whether the it was the email that delivered that or if it was the client <laughs> service guy. It doesn't really matter. You know, you have a bunch of directional things you're doing. You're pushing in a direction, and then that direction is desired to get you to a desired future state, which is the goal. So I think it was important to step into the the morass of, of attribution because it is, yeah. as, a, as a former CMO, it is the reality that we operate in, right? And it's not, in I'm not saying time. you shouldn't care about it. I just think you shouldn't obsess about it, but I agree with you. And I think you should absolutely kind of pursue attribution all day, but, but I don't think you should be too worried about it, I guess. One last thing I want to say before we run out of time on good goals. So good goal setting for campaigns. I, lately, I've come to this idea of you've got to have multiple time horizons. And this kind of feeds to your point earlier about thinking about it as campaigns is wrong. You think about any investment in thought leadership, I tend to believe is about creating a place of advantage for the business. So it's about positioning the firm as an expert on some domain with some certain type of client. So that's a, that's a mission. You're on a long-term mission that might be three to five years long to position the firm as an expert in that domain. And so you have to plan against that long-term time horizon, which is much bigger and broader than any one thought leadership asset you're going to publish. But then you also got to tend to the short term. You can't ignore that. You can't just only focus on like, hey, we're, we're on this mission to get there in three years. And the three years is always three years off. <laughs> you got to deal with the right now. So you also have to plan against the next 12 months. What has to be delivered back to the business for you to be successful? We have to deliver X amount of leads to deliver you know, X amount of revenue and the understanding of the relationship between those types of things. So my advice has become increasingly is, you know, and, and I've learned this from you. I used to just be a long-term only guy, only focus on next year's revenue. That's the marketing's job. But I've come to realize you've got to tend to both. You've got to deal with tomorrow's revenue and today's revenue. And you have to make a smart and purposeful allocation against the two, the same way you would an investment portfolio, which is something we talked about in the thought leadership strategy session. Yeah, I like that. I like that thinking. As you were talking about that, 
it's a challenge in firms to think that long term because of the BS of PS, right? You have these competing performance measures. I have to hit my number for this year. And, and I, I have to hit my utilization number. I have to hit my sales number. I don't want to think about all that other stuff. I need some sales now. And the best firms manage that dynamic of BS and PS better than the ones who don't. Because if you don't have that, you can't build out that longer term positioning that the campaigns are a part of and reinforcing. Mm-hmm. And when, when we did our how to build an intellectual capital strategy and talked a little bit about, you know, owning issues and what are those issues, if firms haven't done that work and put that stake in the ground, which to me is absolutely critical to effective growth strategy, you're just not going to be effective because nature abhors a vacuum. And the BS of PS will fill that vacuum with off messages, campaigns, or the noise that you you started at the at the beginning. Yeah. You know, just this volume of just stuff for the sake of stuff that's really not building anything, just adding to the noise. It's the so, we gotta do something. We gotta do something. We're not doing it this quarter. We gotta do something. Yeah. Yes. And I think the best firms have operating discipline. Mm-hmm. We're trying to move the firm to this point. And, and, and all firms are moving to a new point. I and mean, we've talked about this in discussion of the performance envelope. You know, the campaigns are designed to help manage that transition as performance envelope expands. If you don't know that you have a performance envelope and you don't know that you're skating to where the puck will be, not where it is, and you haven't laid out the issues you want to own, you can run all kinds of campaigns they're not going to be effective. So your point, you have to think long-term and act short-term to get there. It's so simple and powerful, but most firms don't do it. Yeah. It's like that think globally, act locally message that you know was, was a big part of marketing for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I like the way you framed it, think long-term and act short-term. I think the interesting thing is, and we're close to wrap here, one of my clients, as you know, a really, really interesting group of of strategy consultants will say, three years isn't even long enough. That's the problem. You need to think seven years out. And you know, one of the things you talk about is this notion of legacy firms. And a legacy firm thinks over generations and long periods. And we had, remember we had Gunnar Branson on and he talked about real estate investors and real estate companies that think in you know, 10, 20, 30 year cycles. And so it's, I think it's an important exercise that you know, every firm leader, every practice leader, every marketing leader every editorial leader needs to do to say, you know, we're trying to take this firm on a mission to a place of advantage. And what does that place of advantage look like? And that advantage is not going to happen in three months. It's going to take three years, five years, seven years, but we have to get there. That's one of the central messages I hope I can deliver in my talk on this. So as always, thank you for going on this short journey with me. Anything you want to cover that you really, man, Jason, don't, don't cut it off. We got to cover this real fast or, or, you know, maybe not real fast, but. You know what I would like time. to hear? I would like yeah. you to pull it all together and, <laughs> and, 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 and say, hey, firms, marketers, this isn't just for you. This is for you practice leaders. This is for you managing partners. If you want the investment you're making in your firm's reputation and growth to be effective, you need to do what? Sum it up. 
I'll do my best. One, you better have a really clear idea of the ideal client you want to do business with. Two, you better absolutely know the central issues you want to own. Three, you better have a compelling point of view on those issues. And if you don't, darn well better do some research to get one. And then four, you better have a vision for what you want to accomplish both for your client and for yourself. So what is the value you're going to deliver to the client through this effort of thought leadership development and thought leadership marketing that's going to create tons of value for them over the long term? And what is that value going to create for you? What's it going to create for you? What do you need it to create for you? What do you? What is your vision of the future place of advantage you're trying to take your firm on? And then five, you better, like you said, you know, you've thought long-term, you better act short-term. You better have a plan that takes you from where you are right now that's grounded in your today's reality to get you to where you want to be at a place of advantage at some point in the future. And that plan is is, is set up of discrete investments in thought leadership and, and campaigns to help you get there. Did I miss anything? Well done. Prudently put. Five thoughts to live by. There you go. Man, thanks for putting me on the spot. That was hard coming up with uh, coherence that quickly. No hill for a climber, buddy. This was great. I will talk to you next week when we, what are we doing next week? It's a secret. Can't tell you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd like to know. <laughs> Be good to know. <laughs> I'm on the train. With, I'm going to. We're going to have an incredible guest on. That's all I'll say. Okay. All right, man. Well, thanks. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you next, next Tuesday. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. <laughs>